0: Good morning from WKYT News, I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Just ahead of her state of the Merge government address, Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton is here. With the election behind her and a new term in front of her, Gorton has a chance to look ahead and make some plans for the city. Everyone of course hoping the violence in Lexington slows down after the record homicides of 2022. The mayor has been talking strategies for that and increasing numbers within law enforcement, affordable housing and ongoing issue in the city. Some readily tell us that they can't find a place to buy or rent that they can pay for. And the bitter cold of last month brought a whole set of issues that caused the city to step in and condemn some apartments. Uh, there's some discussion of all of that right now. Mayor Linda Gordon is joining us this morning here on Kentucky Newsmakers. And just ahead of your uh, first official council meeting with your council, I know you had a work session with them earlier in the week and things went well.
1: Yes, thank you for having me, Bill. Um, we had a very very calm meeting. Uh, first meetings are usually interesting because the new council members, and they're six this time, are not used to everything yet, and they don't understand everything yet, and it was really good. Everybody, um, would you know, they asked questions when they needed to, and we took a moment at the beginning of the meeting for each council member to introduce themselves. Every four years, it's usually a big turnover because every council member is up for reelection or not running and so it went great and um, I've been meeting with each of them and we've been learning a lot about each other and I am meeting quite often with the vice mayor to um, talk about issues and things like that. How so. important is
0: that relationship? Uh, you were vice mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how important it is that you Uh, be kept informed
1: yes uh, the vice mayor is really the leader of the council those 15 members on the council and I took it like it was a full-time job and the most important thing I think is the communications that the vice mayor has with the council members and with the mayor and uh, one of the things I did which I know vice mayor Dan Wu is doing is having an open door policy so he's in his office And when he's not in meetings, and council members can flow in and flow out, and they can have quick conversations. And that's the way you build rapport and understanding of each other, and it's extremely important.
0: This is the most diverse city council ever, and uh, Mm -hmm. what, nine female members, right? Uh, So there will be uh, lots of different perspectives at the table?
1: Yes, lots of different perspectives, and... I think that's a good thing because our community has lots of different perspectives. So it's really a reflection, a better reflection of our community and it's going to be exciting to see where we go. Uh, I'm always the kind of person who likes to get in a new situation and see how things are flowing, see what's working, see what's not and then go for the changes, you know. And so I know there will be some changes by this council, and um, we're working real hard with them. I, th- I think it's going to be a good, good two years, which is when the district council members will be reelected again in just two years. So in a year, they'll be running again.
0: Yeah, they run two years, and the mm-hmm. at large is four, right? But yes, as, as is the mm-hmm. mayor. Um, and everybody goes into office hoping that the the crime calms down, mm-hmm. uh, certainly. Uh, p- the police department has been uh, uh, running close to 100 officers short, yes. as you know, some other officers to tell us that they never stop running from call to call, that it's difficult to do the community policing mm-hmm. that, that you would like to see because mm-hmm. of the, uh, the, the short staffing. Uh, do you believe Lexington can... Uh, handle this shortage of officers, will it be a priority for this new council and your administration going forward?
1: Well, I think the new council understands it's a priority. It's their priority too. And we all know we can't be a safe community and have other things that um, work well if we're not safe. So um, we constantly work on this issue, Bill, every day of the year and uh, we just graduated not too long ago, a recruit class of police, but then we've got a lot of police who retire every year. You know, it's a constant turnover that way, and they're working on some new things, such as taking back some retirees to work. they They would have to fulfill certain criteria. You know, they can't have been gone 20 years. But uh, some of those kinds of things, we've upped their pay in a huge way. They're about to, in the next paycheck, get a very large salary bump to their basic salary, things like that. And um, we keep working on it real hard and giving them the tools they need to operate. Um, if we're not a safe community, the arts and the parks and the all of that don't matter,
0: right? And, right, and the manpower shortages have been uh, across. Uh, police officers, yeah. it's obvious, you see fewer mm-hmm. cruisers on patrol, mm-hmm. but also in corrections, you yes. have had a major problem. And. DISPATCHING, Yes. DESPITE THAT, YOU HAVE IMPROVED THE, the, the LENGTH OF TIME THAT PEOPLE ARE WAITING for to, uh, to, TO GET THROUGH. Yes. Uh, THERE WAS uh, EARLY IN THE FALL, THERE WERE SOME ISSUES WITH THAT, AND THAT uh, mm-hmm. SEEMS TO HAVE IMPROVED WITH SOME EMPHASIS ON IT.
1: We've, WE'VE BEEN OUT RECRUITING EVERY PLACE AND EVERY WAY WE CAN THINK OF. WE'VE HAD A KIOSK IN THE FAYETTE MALL FOR QUITE A LONG TIME NOW, AND WE'RE GETTING SOME SUCCESS THERE. We've had job fairs. We market and put ads in all the news media sites. And it's it's a constant issue because it's so competitive now. This is true across the country, the shortages in public safety workers. And so we're competing with all of our regional uh, folks, cities, counties, and we just have to keep it up because we... Um, can't afford to drop our numbers even lower.
0: You've also turned to technology. The The flock cameras were mm-hmm. uh, controversial, to say the least, mm-hmm. in the beginning. Uh, you defended them uh, all the way, as does, as does the uh, police mm-hmm. chief. And uh, you are now, uh, and I know you want to save for your speech the report on the numbers, but you can give us an idea that, that things are are uh, apparently going well with those flock cameras.
1: Yes, and I think in the beginning, a lot of people didn't understand them. Uh, They're not for red light runners. They don't catch speeders. They don't take a picture of a driver. They take a picture of the license plate. And we are having phenomenal success with the 25 of them that are in place right now. And I'll tell you, we have confiscated through the use of the Flock Camera license plate readers, 40 guns. I mean that alone is pretty stunning Um, and the successes are really good. We're getting ready to put 75 more in place. That money is in the budget. The council passed the budget. We'll have a presentation to the council the day before, we hope, um, the installation of the first new one. So in the end there will be 100 cameras in place the public will be able to go online and see where they are on a map and these things are very successful and there are thousands of them used across the country
0: and you assure people out there that, that constitutional rights are protected that's right. uh, with this the system that's
1: right that's exactly right these are their cameras on public streets and they are not surveillance you know a lot of businesses have surveillance they have they have video cameras taking pictures of you. Um, Airports have video cameras, but these are a tool for that license plate reader. And um, I'm very excited. I have people in all parts of the community who come up to me, people of all races, and say, I want you to put those flock cameras in because we want the police to be able to do their job and be safe. I HAVE A PERSONAL FRIEND WHO, um, YOU KNOW, HAD AN ISSUE WITH SOMEONE IN THEIR HOME AND THE FLOCK CAMERA CAUGHT THOSE PEOPLE. I MEAN, IT'S STUNNING THE WORK THAT IT CAN HELP OUR POLICE DO.
0: SOME MEMBERS OF THE uh, NEW CITY COUNCIL expressed VERY STRONG INTEREST in, IN AFFORDABLE HOUSING ISSUES. DO YOU THINK THAT THE, uh, the WAY FORWARD COULD BE THIS uh, TENANTS' BILL OF RIGHTS, WHICH THERE IS A REAL PUSH FOR, AND WILL THERE BE SOME? Uh, continued uh, rent subsidies uh, for people uh, in the community from mm-hmm. the city government, which I think you're sort of a pass through for federal funds, mm-hmm. uh, but that will end at some point.
1: Uh, well, those are three different things. The, the federal funds, we still have federal funds. What we're doing is refocusing that rental assistance program to focus on the people who absolutely are the most in need and so we'll be working on that this year. Back to the affordable housing piece, just yesterday we cut the ribbon on a new senior facility out in the Polo Club area that is for uh, seniors who can qualify for affordable housing. We The city has put over $36 million into that fund since 2014 when we started it and we have leveraged around 300 and some million dollars from our partners. This is a partnership. And we've built or rehabbed over 3,000 units of affordable housing since 2014. That's a big deal. And uh, so we'll keep that up. Right now we're working with all those $11 million of federal funds that have gone into the affordable housing here. And then the tenants rights is a little bit different issue. Uh, Those are uh, issues brought to us by tenants who rent homes or apartments. And some cities have tenants rights so that tenants can't be taken advantage of. By landlords, and so I think what the council intends to do is put that issue in committee. You know, tenants' rights is a big list of things. It's everything from accepting rent from any source to uh, whether to take criminals or people with criminal backgrounds. To uh, there's a wide variety of things, and. Some of those items work in other cities and some of them don't work. So I've talked with the vice mayor about this. He's very intent on taking them one by one and looking at them to see if they really work. I, I would be in favor of some tenants' rights if we think they really would.
0: Well, we saw quite the issue. You know, winters can be harsh and can <laughs> yes. test the city, oh. and we got our dose early on around <laughs> Christmas. Did. Let's hope that's the, the <laughs> toughest part we have this winter, right? But that historic cold left uh, some people in unlivable conditions, in mm-hmm. uh, the city uh, condemned uh, uh, some apartments and homes. Mm-hmm. What, what is supposed to happen then, and, and were those folks Taken care of in the way that satisfies uh, y- the city?
1: We helped those folks uh, because we're very focused on, in particular, in that very cold weather. I mean, that was unusual for us, and we helped them find a place to live for a while. I think we put 100 people or something into motel rooms. I mean, that's a, that's a quick, fast answer, and it's not permanent, but it helps in the immediate emergency and that was most unusual. I hope it doesn't happen again, but we don't know, do we? So we were able to help those folks. We helped a lot of folks who uh, most of our homeless went into shelter, and we helped a few people who had heat go out and they had people on oxygen they had people with health issues who were elderly so we helped people like that it's a it's an all hands on deck kind of thing
0: it was a tough time it it, was. It, you know uh, and there was criticism from the Catholic action center in the mm-hmm. form of a letter that uh, that went out that made some accusations uh, mm-hmm. uh, have those differences been worked out uh, are people on the same page now <laughs> going forward should there be another weather emergency
1: well, I think that what our what my administration did, and in particular, my commissioner of housing, uh, advocacy, and community development, put out the facts in a return letter, and um, I believe were prepared. Uh, people who needed to be housed were housed, and in fact, we housed people from other counties, Bill, who came here because they knew that we we treat people without housing well and so we've worked through all that and we are prepared for the next time if it comes this winter or whenever
0: THE LEGISLATURE IS MEETING NOW. THEY HAVE uh, SEVERAL BILLS THAT uh, are, ARE OF INTEREST TO THE cities, EITHER UP FOR CONSIDERATION OR BEING TALKED ABOUT IN THE BACK HALLS. Uh, ONE OF THOSE, uh, and, AND IT IS A BILL, WOULD MAKE CITY ELECTIONS PARTISAN ACROSS THE STATE. Mm-hmm. RIGHT NOW THAT IS uh, that's UP TO THE CITY TO DECIDE. Mm-hmm. BUT THE BILL FROM uh, SENATOR DAMON THAYER AND, uh, and OTHERS uh, WOULD SAY THE ELECTIONS IN LEXINGTON WOULD BE REPUBLICAN AND DEMOCRAT. Mm-hmm. AND THAT WOULD BE THE CASE FOR ALL OF THE CITIES. And school boards and other offices. Mm-hmm. You don't support that.
1: I, so we have seen almost 50 years in Lexington of a charter that said we're nonpartisan. We have operated nonpartisan for almost 50 years. It has worked wonderfully. Um, nobody pays attention to who's registered how, and the issues just get discussed on their own merit. Are they good for the city or not? And so any council member, whether they're Democrat or Republican or or independent, can talk with any other council member about that. They don't have to caucus in a partisan caucus. At local government level, I believe that's the best because I've seen it work year in and year out. So local government's very different than state and federal. And I believe if people take a look at how we operate here, non-partisans really a great way to go and i think there are only 6 cities in the whole state that are partisan it's overwhelmingly nonpartisan. Yep. Four hundred and some cities are nonpartisan. And
0: again, they have that choice now mm-hmm. if, if they yes. want to do that. Do you support the, the revenue flexibility for cities that's uh, that's up for discussion, potentially an amendment uh, that would, uh, because the state is moving away from uh, from income tax mm-hmm. and they wants are. to go more to sales tax, mm-hmm. and you know, there may come a time when there is no state income mm-hmm. tax and the mm-hmm. cities are still trying to collect an occupational mm-hmm. tax. Do you want more flexibility for cities?
1: I think that flexibility will be a good thing if they can get there, to give cities choices, a menu of choices. And right now we're very limited in how we can raise revenue. And something that might work well for Lexington may not work well for another city and we've seen all over the country for this is an example how the local option sales tax works the 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 people get to vote on a project that would put into place a local option sales tax to fund the project and then when it's done that tax goes away that's a beautiful tool for cities you know i think of city hall (laughs) we're going to we're going to have a city hall.
0: Build a new but,
1: one. But I, it might be a new one or it might be a rehab. We don't know yet, but our space study went out this year. And we've gotten the proposals back, and so we're close to doing the actual space study with a consultant, and that will be done late in the spring, early summer. And, but this is a project, for example, that could be funded by a local option sales tax. Oklahoma City is a perfect example. It works well there. They've built many public buildings with this local option sales tax.
0: Uh, about a, a minute left here, uh, just an uh, up, update on the soccer situation. Is, is is there an agreement now to move everything to Athens-Boonsboro Well, or?
1: Well, not totally okay. yet. Uh, but the soccer fields, you know, they're un- under construction. Yeah. And that's a good that's thing. That's the youth. The conflict. youth soccer yeah. fields. And, um, the you know, there's been all the work with the the pro team that's going to play, and they've got places for them to play and things. And they're still working on the detail of the stadium. I still believe this will be a good thing for Fayette County, and I want them here. So the devil's in the details, right? And we've got to just work it through and work it through with the neighbors.
0: Yeah. A few seconds left. You're excited for the next four years.
1: Oh, yes. We have a lot on our list but uh, it's a lot of it's very good now if we have a some kind of situation that might pop up like we've had the last four years we'll deal with it and we'll go right on and i'm very excited i've got my senior leader team in order and we have wonderful employees so i'm pretty pumped up.
0: Mayor, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Stay with us in just a moment. We'll have a, a report on the mental health of athletes. We're coming back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The Kentucky basketball team has experienced some highs and lows this season, but their struggles haven't only been on the court. A few weeks ago, senior forward Jacob Toppin opened up about his mental health struggles and how his mental health was affecting his physical performance. Our Lee K. Howard sat down with a professional counselor in Lexington who knows the mental struggles of playing college basketball at the highest level. We sometimes see athletes as superhuman.
2: Topham comes out of nowhere um, catching flight and scoring the putback. But when the game is over and the bright lights go out, they're often left with the mental struggles of performing at a high level. I was I was messed up mentally. Um, I wasn't thinking right even when I was on the court I wasn't fully on the course so it was uh it was really hard for me following a game in early january kentucky senior jacob Toppin opened up about his mental health struggles honestly I, I i probably reached rock bottom there was no bottom uh before this game so uh i just try to focus on climbing back out of the hole that i was in and uh i took a step forward today
0: when you do find yourself in that in that place you know letting people know where you are mentally like like i think he did and um, having people who were
2: close to him be yeah, able to reach out and him reaching out to people he trusts. Andre Riddick is very familiar with the mental struggles of playing basketball at a school like Kentucky. From Brooklyn, New York, Andre Riddick. The former Wildcats said he had his own struggles during his playing career. Coach Patino set us up, set me up to go see a sports psychologist, and, um, you know, I, I met with him and talked with him, and I was able to kind of work through some things, and he really helped me out. And that's why. I, one of the reasons why I'm a counselor today, because of you know my experiences during that time. These days, Riddick is a licensed professional counselor in Lexington, helping those who, like Toppin, are dealing with mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. It's never that because I'm an athlete, I'm not human, and I don't have things going on that I need uh, help with or need to talk to somebody about. You know, so it's the fact that we need to come away from making people you know looking at athletes as superheroes that don't have problems, but superheroes who do have problems. A recent study by the NCAA found that 30% of student athletes say they feel extremely overwhelmed with 25% reporting mental exhaustion. Another study reported 31% of male and 48% of female NCAA student athletes reported having depression or anxiety symptoms. We've done a lot of work and it's not been on the court. Um, you had guys feeling the weight of the world, and that's why I came, it's not life and death. And while performance anxiety is not unique to athletes, it can be elevated due to their high profile and outside pressures through things like social media. I know I don't pay attention to it. I don't know if they don't. Sometimes I think they're reading that stuff. You just can't. It's a different time and age. You know, it's funny, I'm sitting with Jeff Shepard. Jeff, I said, Jeff, what if he had social media back then? I do think that as, as athletes are looking at their dreams and looking at their future, a lot of times they, uh, they miss the moment. And that, that's sad. They don't need to miss the moment. Jeff Shepard was a part of two national championship teams at Kentucky in 96 and 98 and remembers what it was like to feel the weight of the world on his shoulders. The best thing about Kentucky basketball uh, the expectation. The worst thing about Kentucky basketball is the expectation. Advice he gives his son Reed, one of the top high school prospects in the country, who will suit up for the Wildcats next season. We tell him that you know who's responsible for my mental health? My teammate. And I'm responsible for his. And when that relationship exists, then we got two people working. Now we got three people working. Now we have 12 people working. Now we have a whole community working. Now we can win. And it's that team mentality that has helped Jacob Toppin get back to the right frame of mind. Uh, I had a lot of support from my teammates and my coaching staff. And it just feels good to just be back to my old self. I feel good mentally and physically. So we just move forward and uh, try to get better as a team from here.
0: Lee K. Howard with that report that we wanted to air once again so that you had the opportunity to see it. And we hope you'll stay with us in just a moment. Some cheerleaders in Kentucky getting a lot of attention. Before we go, we'll have some info on that. Welcome back, and some cheerleaders are Kentucky newsmakers this week. The cheerleaders at Moorhead State University are back in the Bluegrass State, bringing three national titles with them. Three teams from Moorhead competed last uh, weekend in the UCA College Championships. The school's large co-ed team won its 29th title. The all-girl team won its 13th championship and its first since 2018. And Moorhead's new small co-ed team won its first title in its first ever national competition. Head coach Mark Coleman says he's honored and proud, and he couldn't have scripted this any better.
2: Obviously, taking three teams, and obviously, you know, we're Moorhead State. We're we're the winningest uh, cheerleading tradition in the country. We're always trying to win. You know, we take risks, but we try to be smart and calculated with those risks, and I don't think I could have scripted it.
0: Morehead Cheer now has won 53 national titles. Western Kentucky University Cheer also brought home a title. WK Year Cheer won All-Girl D1, a national championship, by five points. That's their second national title in three years. University of Kentucky Cheerleading finished second at nationals. South Florida took first place in that division. They won a large co-ed competition. Kentucky has won 24 cheerleading national championships and some of our other schools also performing quite well in the cheerleading competition, which is good to know. All right, we've already uh, scheduled one guest for next weekend's edition of Kentucky Newsmakers, and that will be Transportation Secretary Jim Gray, the former mayor of Lexington. Among the topics we'll talk about, of course, the major project at the Brent Spence Bridge and also the effort to get electric vehicle charging stations at locations around Kentucky. The uh, time is is coming when that is going to need to be done. And uh, there's uh, an effort underway now to roll all of that out. We do want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmaker. Stay with WKYT for all the latest and you make it a good week ahead.